Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. Where you are, where you are. 
song to rise to you. When temptation comes my way, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay.
If you would, turn your Bibles to Exodus 4. We're going to actually start, I'm going to read Exodus 3, the majority of it, but we're going to be in Exodus 4. And a special thank you to my wife. I don't know if I mentioned this, uh, but I'm glad Harvest Party is over because I'm going to get my wife back. Like, I'm James. I don't know if you remember me. Like, every day for the last, like, two weeks, day and night, Eddie has been working on Harvest Party stuff like that. And um, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you brought the people out of Egypt. You will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Verse 18, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. If you'd skip down to Chapter 4, verse 1. And here's the text I want to look at. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. How many of you would run from that? Amen. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. I don't know if I'd do that. So Moses reached out and took a hold of the snake, and, turned, and it turned back into a staff in his hands. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, speak to us through your word. Lord, we give you right away for this service. We want our attention to be on you. We want to be focused in on you. Father, we want you to to be speaking in every church in our community and around here that's proclaiming you. Lord, we want those churches to be lit on fire spiritually and sent out, Lord. And we want to be amongst that too. Father, would you, would you call us? Would you remind us of the call that you have on our lives? And would you not let anything get in our way of that and what you'd have us do? Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you 
all honor, Lord. Speak to us today. Soften our hearts. Open our eyes. Open our ears, Lord. Give us a boldness. It's going to take a boldness, Lord. It's going to take trust in you. And Father, I pray that you would develop that in us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to compare two statements that are found in the text at the start of chapter 4. The first one, Moses says in verse 1, what if? What if they do not believe me? Right? Or what if they don't listen to me? What if they say the Lord did not appear to you? The Lord's reply in verse 2 is what? What is? What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Today we need to, to move from the thinking of what if to what is. Today I want you to be called by God. I want you to remember the calling of God on your lives. I want you to respond to the calling of God on your lives. I want you to figure that out. I want you to find your purpose. And I want you to go forth in that. I don't want you to shrink away from that because that's unfortunately what a lot of us do. Because of the what ifs. We have to move to the what is. I am a good what ifer. I am a great Corey. I am a great what ifer. At times that has served me well. What if, right? What if I were to surrender my life to Christ? What if I were to surrender my life fully to Christ? What if I were to start teaching the the kids when somebody asks me that? What if I were to start tithing, right? What if I say yes to the pastoral call on my life? What if the church board, what if we give money to everybody in our congregation, right? Do you remember that? What if we give everybody a 10, a 20, or a 50, and we say, hey, if you need that money, keep it. But if you don't need that money, grow it. Use it as a seed and grow it, right? Do you remember we gave $2,000 away to this congregation? Church board, you're crazy, right? But we said, what if? And look at what God did with that. He brought back double back from that, right? Those are, those are the good what ifs. I'm also really good at the bad what ifs, right? What if I'm a failure? What if the church closes? What if I have an altar call and nobody responds, right? What if there's a disagreement that's going on and, and people leave and the church splinters and the church fractures, right? What if we can't find teachers for the kids that we need? What if I can't come up with a sermon each week? Those are just some of the what ifs. These are the scenarios that I think play out in each and every one of our lives and our minds. And they get in the way of us being used by God for what he calls us to. They get in the way of us following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Our saying is, right, we were once friends, but now we're family on a great mission, right? We, we're doing pretty good on the first part of that. We're growing in the family part. We're learning more and more, I think, what that means to you, and it's exciting to see that, right? But we've got a ways to go on the mission part, on the great mission part. Well, what is the, the great mission? It's the great commission, that Jesus gave us, right? It's to share the good news. It's to tell other people about Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done in our life. It's to disciple. It's to be discipled. It's to go out and replicate. That's the way we measure success on the mission part is to look at are we replicating ourselves? Is God using us to bring other people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And in turn, then, are those people reaching people, and it's God using them to bring other people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the way we see if we're being successful and we're lacking in that right now. That's something that needs to grow in our church. Those what-ifs, those are the dangers. Those are the things that stop us from carrying out this mission one example, uh, God may impress on you, go speak to your family member, right, that doesn't know Christ. Go speak to your friend that doesn't know Christ. Go speak to your coworker that doesn't know Christ. The Holy Spirit may be leading you to do that, but what if, right? Lord, what if they think I'm stupid? What if they don't believe me, right? 
The danger with the what ifs is that they can lead to a whole lot of why nots, right? Oh man, the timing is just wrong for this. Have you ever told yourself that when the Holy Spirit's led you? Yeah, I have. And there's, there's probably going to be a better time to do this. It's just not right right now. Or there's probably a better person to do this right. Or I'm not smart enough. Or I don't know how I'm going to explain it. Or I'm not going to have the words to say. Those are the what ifs that get in the way. Any of you wrestling with those? What if I make a pledge to give and the economy gets worse? Right? The what-ifs get in the way. Here's Moses, though. Moses. Moses wrestling with the same thing, saying, what if? What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen? We, we read right before this, God speaks to him from an entire chapter from a burning bush, right? And he tells him, I want you to go to the most powerful person on the face of this earth, right? At that time, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And tell him, let my people go. In other words, release all your slaves. Release all that free labor that you have. Not necessarily free, but hundreds of thousands of workers that it will decimate your economy. It will change your, totally change your way of life, right? How would you think that would turn out? Saying that to that leader. Also, you ever think about where Moses is at at this point in his life when God tells him to do this? He's 80. He's 80 years old. And at this point, I think even if you're the most optimistic person in the world, right, you you have to be thinking, no way is this going to work. No way are the Israelites going to believe me or is this person going to believe me? And I could think of a ton of bad what-ifs, right? You read about this Moses, about the the great things that he did. And at this point, God spoke to him for that entire chapter, right, about the great things that he, the great things that God was going to do. And he said, I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard their cries, right? And he told them, I'm going to compel Pharaoh to let them go. Exodus 3.20, I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. If he doesn't let him go, which he won't think that God, which he won't, then God will perform those wonders, right, that compel him. He's going to put a plague on him. And when that doesn't work, he's going to put another plague. And when that doesn't work, he's going to put another plague and another and another. And Moses is like, all right, well, who are you? And God responds with, I am who I am. So Moses is hearing from the God who's eternal about something he's going to do. This isn't just some person telling Moses this, right? This is the eternal God of the universe telling him that. And Moses' response is the same that we often have when the eternal God comes and tells us to do similar things, right? When God comes and prompts us to do something, but what if? Notice that it doesn't appear that Moses doubts God right here. He says, what if they don't believe me? Or what if they don't listen to me? And what if they say the Lord did not appear to you? The doubt doesn't at first appear to be directed towards God. He didn't say, what if you can't compel him? What if you can't do it, right? No, it's what if they don't listen? And get this, Moses, Moses is afraid of the Israelites. And the Israelites are the people he's called to deliver. He's called to help, right? Is that not the same with us? The people that we're called to, the people that God leads us to share our faith with, our family members, our friends, the people that are in the boat with us, right? To speak to those people. And those are the people, the very people that we're afraid to do it. What if they think I'm stupid? What if they reject me? I'm not doubting God. I'm struggling with the people I'm called to, 
right? Isn't it interesting the things that we're most afraid of are often the things that we're called to? I think that's a clue for you and I, right? You scared to go on the mission field? Ooh, you might be called to the mission field, right? How many of us are called to stand up in here and give our testimony in this very place, but we're too scared, right? Scared to lead prayer, to pray out loud in front of other people. Scared of talking to that person. Do our insecurities reveal an assignment from God? I think they often do. Pay attention to that. Scared to speak in front of people, you're probably going to be called to be a pastor, right? That's just how it works. Here's something. I don't believe God exists at one point in time. I don't believe God views time as we do, right? Moses says in Psalm 90, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day, right? Isaiah tells us that God inhabits eternity. Time is simply duration, but God is eternal, something without beginning or without end, right? I believe that's how he knows everything about what would happen, about what did happen, because he exists outside of our time. So, I believe that when he prompts us, he knows everything about that prompting, right? When he calls us to something, he sees everything about us at that moment. So there, there is nothing he does not see about you when he speaks to you, right? When he calls you, he saw the times that you would fall. He saw the places where you have been and where you have run away from him, and yet he still calls you. He has still called you. He knows that when he asks you to talk to that person, you're going to stumble through it. And yet he still called you. He sees it all, right? This is the being that specifically built you that specifically created you to be this certain way, right? He fashioned you. And he th- do you think he does not see your past? Do you think he's surprised by it? Like when he called you, hey, I'm going to call you this person to do that, but man, wow, whoops, I didn't realize that person wasn't smart enough to do that. Do you think there's any surprise in that? No, if he's called you, there is a reason There is a reason to move forward with it. There is no mistake in his calling, right? He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows where you're weak. That does not disqualify you, right? Where your weaknesses are. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that if that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Some people think weakness is a reason that you should not do something. It is a reason that you should not lead. It is something to be pointed to you that disqualifies you. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen? We're we're using our weaknesses as an excuse. I'm not a good person to speak in front of people. We're using it as an excuse to say no to what God's calling us to do. And people are going to hell. People are living in hell. We've got to wake up. He sees everything about us when he calls us, when he prompts us. That means when we doubt our capacity to do what God calls us to do, it's not us that we doubt, but it's really the God who made us that we doubt. And we don't want to say that. And so instead we say, well, what if they? What if they don't believe me? Listen, if I, if you could get to the place where we really truly believe that God, that God made us how he wanted to and that God knows everything about us, including our, our frailties and that he still calls us, man, if we really get that, if we truly understand that, that would remove every what if, the negative what ifs in our lives. They'd be gone. 
because we'd know he sees all that. And so he's calling us to do those things. Any of you of God's sovereignty that does not make room for your struggles is false. Any view of God that you have that is not big enough to take into account your flaws is not big enough. It's too small. It's good to ask what if when you're trying to make plans and seek direction. But when God calls you to something, that's not the time for what ifs. Those what ifs shrink God. What's at stake with the mission? What's at stake? There are people that have rejected God and are on their way to hell. That's the stakes here for us. We can be all great about being family. But if we're not family on mission, close us down. Right? If we're just here, not impacting this community, not going out, we're not carrying on the work of Christ. We're letting the what-ifs get in the way of planting seeds, of reaching people. There are people living in hell right now because they haven't surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. There are kids contemplating suicide right now in our community. There are people turning to drugs and alcohol to numb the pain because they do not realize that there is a God that takes away all guilt and shame. There is a God who died on a cross for them that loves them. The big question is, what, not what if, right? Not what if they don't listen. The big question is, what if I don't speak what God gives me to speak to that person, right? We can never forget the great mission that we have. It's too important. Yes, we are family, but we're family called to a great mission, a great commission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And if you're unsure about that, and surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Well, what if I do it and, and fail? God saw it. God knew that was going to happen, right? But he still called you to do it. That's what he gives us grace for. I guarantee you you're going to learn from that, right? You think a pastor starts out preaching well. My first sermon was atrocious. If any of you were a part of that, that was horrible, right? Yeah, of course you're not going to be super amazing the first time you do something. You might fall down. God will teach you. God will use it. God's still planting seeds, the moment, the moment that Moses said, what if they, he was in trouble because there are several things in life that you cannot control, right? The weather's one. Sometimes we're surprised by it. That person sitting next to you is another, right? We can't control people. Let's just assume most people are going to think we're stupid. Let's just assume most people aren't going to listen but let's plant seeds nonetheless, right? Let's assume that we're not going to be perfect, that we're going to fall down, that we're going to mess it up, but let's assume there's a plan in that. Let's assume there's growth coming from that, right? The what-if game takes us out of the great mission. How many times would Moses strike out against Pharaoh? Well, God, you, you told me to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let your people go, and he didn't listen. Go again. Okay, I'll go again. No, he didn't listen this time again. We'll go again and go again and go again. Right? It just dawned on me. Did, did Moses feel like a failure every time that he went and, and proclaimed what God had told him to proclaim when Pharaoh stepped back and stepped back from that? Uh, God warned him. Probably not because God told him, hey, uh, I'm just going to give you a heads up. He's, he's not going to listen, but I'm going to compel him. But you think after the ninth time, maybe he was starting to wonder? You know, you're telling me to do this. I don't know. But keep going, right? It's part of God's plan. Let's just expect people, some people, not to listen. But let's pray that they do. Let's pray that they have a soft heart, right? And let's rejoice when that one person does. 
let's rejoice even if they don't listen because we're planting seeds. That's not how we determine our success or our failure is, is how they respond, right? If we speak what God calls us to, if we do what God prompts us to, no matter what the outcome is, success. That's success, right? The people often ignored the prophets, right? When God sent the prophets to speak to the people, they ignored them. They put them in jail. They ran them out of town. But they were doing what God called them to do. They kept speaking. We can't control people. We can't control people's responses, right? Praise God if people reject you. At least you're faithful. Many people rejected Jesus. Many people rejected Paul. Many people didn't listen to those two guys. And I know, James, there's got to be a better person to do this. I don't know. What if Moses, the man that God calls to deliver his people, is a murderer who's been hiding out for 40 years? Right? There has to be a better person. What if God picks that guy, though? If God called you to it, do it. Right? Watch Moses, though. What if they don't listen to me? Notice God doesn't answer his question. God will not answer your question if you play that game. What if? Right? Don't expect an answer from God. Don't expect him to say, well, don't worry. You know, nothing bad's going to happen to you. You're, you're not going to bomb. Everything's going to go smoothly. You're going to be perfect, right? You're going to nail that first sermon. You're gonna, you're gonna, everything's just going to be great. You won't mess up. He does not promise any of that, right? Promises to be with us. Instead, the Lord said, what is? What is that in your hand? Here's what the Lord will do to help you get out of the what-if game, right? God moves Moses from what-if to what-is. What is that in your hand? What's that thing that God has given you right now, right? And will you trust when you get to that next challenge, after this challenge, that what he gave you will be enough for that as well? Why? Because he's enough. God says, I know you got some doubts. Let me do a product demonstration, though, right? You've been seeing the staff as something to shepherd sheep, and that is what has been up until now. But throw it down on the ground, right? And it will change into something else. The moment you let go of it, the moment you surrender it, that's when God's able to transform it or you or that situation, right? The moment you surrender, it's going to become something that you've never seen before. The moment that you take it out of your hand, your power, right? You're going to see the power of God in it. He's going to turn it into something new. God is doing a product demonstration because Moses doesn't even know who he is yet. Moses isn't some great leader right now, right? He hasn't seen what God has put inside of him when he fully surrenders his life to Christ. You too, you, you may not have yet met your fully surrendered self yet. But they're in there. You're in there. Don't wander in the wilderness and miss it. It's a prison of meaninglessness. It's a waste of time, right? The moment that Moses focuses on what is in his hand, God starts dealing with what's not in his hands, right? Give God that situation. You can't control it. You can't control that person. You can't control that addiction. But he'll give you what you need, the strength you need, the direction to go. What God has given you will be enough for what he's called you for that next moment and it's going to change and become enough for the next moment. And it's going to change and become enough for the next moment, whatever that is. I, I remember, anybody remember rainbow vacuum cleaners? Anybody have one of those? Oh, you missed out. All right. Rainbow vacuum cleaners. Like another thing of a Kirby. Maybe you had a Kirby, man. I remember the rainbow vacuum cleaner salesperson coming to our house. They used to have teens. They used to have salespeople that would come to your house. Somebody slapped my son. And wake him up. 
Thank you. This <laughs> of all the people sleeping, right? I remember when a rainbow vacuum cleaner salesman, though, came to our house, and that person demonstrated all the things that that thing could do, right? He started off and showed us something, and wow, like we vacuumed our house with the normal vacuum cleaner, and then they went over with the rainbow, and they got all this stuff out of it, and it was like, that was amazing. And then they showed us something else it could do, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then they showed us something else it could do, and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And then they showed us something else it could do. And I, we ended up buying it. My parents ended up buying that thing. I don't know how we afforded it. That thing was expensive. But we all wish God was like that. Just show us everything, right? Just show us everything, not just for this moment, but show us the path. Show us the path down the road. Show us 20 years from now. Give us the, give us the big plan. Lay it all out for us. But that's not how he does it, Right? He just gives us that thing for that next thing. And that keeps us in dependence on him, right? Think about that staff. That staff of Moses becomes the staff of God. That's how it's described, right? That's how Exodus 4.20 describes it. That's what happens when he lays it down. That's what happens when he surrenders it. Think about how that thing that God gave Moses would change, though, right? Moses didn't know what all God would do with that staff, right? God didn't tell him, oh yeah, once you get out of the land of bondage, right, out of the land of Egypt, you're going to get trapped and you're going to have to cross a Red Sea, right, but, but raise up that staff, right, and see the, the waters split, right? What's in your hand, Moses? That thing that God gave you will change and be what you need it to be when you need it to be, Right? Lord, what are we doing right now? The people are thirsty and we're, we're wandering here in this, in this wilderness. What, what are the people going to drink? What's in your hand, Moses? Strike that rock, right? And water will flow out of it. Don't play the what if about your future problems and that future that you're just uncertain of, right? Don't judge it by your current strength and whatever, what you're able to handle right now. Like when you're looking to what God's called you to do and you don't see that way forward because you're looking at yourself right now, you're looking at you. You're not looking at God. You're not looking at what will God give you down the road in order to be able to deal with that situation. You got to trust him. You got to start taking some steps forward, even when you don't think, man, there's got to be somebody better for this. There's got to be somebody that would be able to do a better job than this for this situation. Because I don't see how you are going to use me, God, to be a part of that. No, you just start walking, right? And you trust that he's going to give you what you need for that time period. Move on from what is, what if, to what is. When that isn't enough, remember who is right? And cling to him. Our faith isn't in some magic staff, and I didn't mean to point that picture or anything like that. Our faith is in God, and we trust him to give us what we need. Moses has led the people out of bondage. They're coming out on a journey that's only supposed to take two weeks, right? We all know the story, and they get stuck for 40 years. Remember, they send out 12 spies into the land that God has promised them, Ten of them come back focused on what? Not God. Not Moses. They're focused on the people of the land that they have to defeat. Numbers thirteen twenty six. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruits. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. This turned a two-week journey into 40 years. Right? And do you know why? 
Did you see why? Because no one in all of those verses looked to God. No one, right? Not one time was his name mentioned. Not one time was his power considered. Not one time was his hand invoked, right? Not even Caleb mentioned it. Where is God in your what-ifs? Where is God in your what-ifs? Where does God factor in, right? Where is the great I am? Here's the thing that God said to me. Many things he said to me, preached to me, but he said, what if God gave you the weakness to show his strength? He reminded me of that. Because I want to look at my weakness and see failure. Now I want to look at my weakness and see his strength. Right? That's what he reminded me of. Praise God. What if God knows the stuff you don't know? What if you really believe that? What if God sees how these seeds planted are going to bear fruit one day, 10 years from now? I love the, the, the thing that um, our DS said uh, about whatever it was called about planting seeds. What was it called? The law of the harvest. Hmm. What if the thing that you're worrying about today is already taken care of? Because he holds it in his hand, right? Would you stand with me? Where is God in your what if? Don't let the what ifs keep you in the wilderness for 40 years, 40 years of meaninglessness before you wake up. My friends, we have a mission. He will prompt us to say and do things if we surrender our lives to him, if we look for him, if we listen for that, if we're in his word, he will give us those things. And when he does, respond to them. Don't let the what-ifs get in the way, right, of following the Holy Spirit's leading. Moses, at least, was having a conversation with God about the what-ifs. Most of us, including myself, I usually have a conversation with myself about the what-ifs. Oh, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that's going to be the right timing. I don't know if that's good. And when we do that, we never hear God say, what is? What's in your hand? What have I given you already? Right? We never hear the great I am say, I gave you what you need for right now. Give God the what-ifs. He knows the future. Give God the what-if, and he'll show you what is in your hand. Right? Give God the what-if, and he will remind you, he is the great I am. Amen? I'd love to come here next week and hear prayer requests about the person that God's laid on your heart to share the good news with. I'd love to hear those prayer requests. I'd love to hear praises about the person that you got to share the good news with next week. I'd love to hear a prayers request or a praise that said, you know what, I, sh- I followed the Holy Spirit's leading. I shared that, but I crashed and burned. I'd love to hear it. Because you think you crashed and burned, but he saw it. He knew it. And he planted seeds. And I'd love to hear... 10 years from now, somebody walk in those doors and tell about a time that somebody spoke to them about Christ and they didn't buy it at that time, but that started a process to get somebody thinking about Jesus Christ. Amen? Father, we thank you. Lord, here we are. Send us. Lord, give us somebody this very week. Prompt us to speak to them in your name. Lord, give us the words to say, and Father, may we truly believe that, that you will. And may we step out in boldness. Father, would you remind us when we think we're the last person to speak or the last person that should be going and talking to somebody, when we're scared to death, when we, when we're, we don't have a clue, would you just help us to start walking and start talking? And would you steer the conversation in the direction it has? 
Lord. Maybe it's not to talk to somebody. Maybe it's to do something. Maybe it's just to lay something down. Maybe it's something that we're struggling with, like an addiction, Lord. Maybe it's a fear that we have. How are we going to pay the bills? How am I going to make it? What are we going to do with this word called cancer in our lives? Lord, would you help us just to lay it down at your feet and trust you with it? Father, would you help us to be there for each other during these times? Would you help us to encourage each other? You spoke. You said it. Good job. Keep going. I'll stand next to you. Lord, give us those opportunities. Father, help us to be day and night in your word, day and night praying to you, though, Lord, so that we can know it's you speaking to us, so that we can follow your will, Lord. Lord, we love you, and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen.